We'll read to verse 31. Thank you all of you for being here today. God bless each and every one of you. Those joining online, thank you so much for attending. Amen. Matthew chapter 21, starting with verse 28. This is Jesus speaking, and he says this, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They said unto him, The first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. I'm going to preach for a few minutes on this topic this morning. Do something. Do something. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. Thank you for your word and for this opportunity you've given us to receive it. I pray, Lord, that it would be received in the manner given, that you would work your perfect work, that you would anoint this poor servant to deliver the word of God with boldness, with power, and with authority. All eyes, all hearts, all ears are attent unto you, the Lord our God, to receive of you all that you'll give, that your name would be glorified here in our service today, and these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You can be seated. A man was walking through a forest one day, and he encountered this crippled fox. And he looked at him, and he's just kind of laying there. and wasn't really doing anything. He started wondering after a little while, how is... How is the fox eating? How is he getting food? How is he surviving out here? He can't seem to move or do anything. And so <clears throat> he kept watching, and pretty soon this tiger came up, and he had some prey in his mouth. And he sat down beside the fox, and he, he ate what he was going to eat, and then walked away. And the fox kind of hobbled over and ate what was left. And the, uh, the man watching all of this said, The Lord is speaking to me here. He's telling me something. If God will provide for that little fox, he'll provide for me too. And so the man went home, locked himself in his room, sat on his bed and prayed and waited for God to provide. <laughs> and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And, uh, yeah, he started getting pretty hungry. Still no food. His faith is being tested, though. I know I, know I heard from God. So he kept praying, kept praying, kept praying. Finally, he was so weak, he could barely get out of bed. And this angel appeared to him. And the angel's like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, the Lord spoke to me through the, the crippled fox. He's going to provide for me like he did the fox. Like, you're not supposed to be the fox. You're supposed to be the tiger. <laughs> You're perfectly capable of earning a living. Help other people that can't. <laughs> and it, it seems today in the world, certainly in the United States, that there is a growing segment of our population that, that seems to have that same exact idea. That uh, this welfare mentality that 
the, the government owes me a living or somebody owes me a living and I really shouldn't have to work this hard to get ahead in life. What's the easiest way I can get this done? Do we actually need to do this? Can we get away without not doing it? What's the bare minimum I need to do for this to count as complete? And we see this attitude in a lot of people today. Uh, unfortunately, you know, some of the youth that are, that are coming up, we see it in our youth. Uh, this idea that, you know, eh, I'll work until I don't want to, or I'll, 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 I'll work this long, or I'll, I'll, I'll do these things, but not over, not these things. And the kind of picking and choosing and, and it's, it's something that someone from my generation, I don't understand. <laughs> my dad, his generation certainly wouldn't understand. <laughs> and my dad's generation, they kind of taught my generation or translation, my dad, Beat it into me that I was going to work. <laughs> if I want to get ahead in life, it ain't easy. You got to do the hard things, do things other people don't want to do. Do them longer than they're willing to work. And that that's kind of been my upbringing. And then I, I, I see people, I, I see people on the job site, and they're like... <laughs> This one guy, <laughs> this one guy, he doesn't work for me. He works for the contractor that I do jobs for. And he, uh, not you. <laughs> you probably will. But he came into, uh, he came into the shop one afternoon. Everybody was done. They were cleaning up their tools. The contractor was telling me this. And uh, he came kind of hobbling in to the shop. Been fine all day. Came hobbling into the shop. Oh, I did something to my back. Oh, my back really hurts. And he sat there right in the middle of everybody, you know, unloading stuff from the, the trucks and, and cleaning tools and people moving back and forth. He's right there in the middle of it, just sitting on a tub of paint. Oh, you yeah. know. So, uh what you need there, dude? <laughs> Obviously some attention or something. But, uh, you know, kind of working himself up to, uh, I can't come in tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, if it were an actual injury, yeah, sure. Take some time, get, get better. But nobody believes it was an actual injury. And, uh, uh, anyway, so, you know, we, we got those kind of mindsets in the world today, and unfortunately, that has creeped into the church as well. <clears throat> we see people in the church who want the absolute cheapest salvation. And we, we've spoke before, you know, salvation is free, but it will cost you something to maintain, and it will cost you to move forward in. They want the cheapest price available. I'll commit, but when it's convenient for me. 
You know, if I got other plans going on, I, I won't be available, but but if I'm free, if there's nothing else going on, I, I can help you do stuff at the church. And, uh, you know, people who will give if they have extra, I won't really notice it missing. Uh, those kinds of people, and thank God you're giving, thank God you're willing to serve, but the attitude is kind of what I'm trying to hit on this morning. The attitude that I'm going to pick and choose what I give to God. I'm going to give him my scraps. I'm going to give him the the leftovers, the things that I really don't want anymore. That's what I'll give God. And he better be thankful to get it. And I I don't like that attitude either. <clears throat> If I were perfectly transparent with you this morning, I would tell you that I have had that attitude in the past. But I'm not going to be transparent to you this morning. So I won't say that. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I have had that attitude when I was a new convert, for sure. Uh I didn't understand, I, under, I understood work ethic, but, you know, growing up Lutheran, I didn't have to do anything, <laughs> really. Uh, just get my name on a ledger, and I was good. <clears throat> so, but that's not the way it is, is it? Uh, there are things that God asks of us. There are things that he requires of us. And when we're not willing to present those things to the Lord, We are telling God that, you know, we're stewards, right? Everything we have is loaned to us. The money in the bank account is God's money. We're stewards of it. If he wants the money back, then, you know, if I give my money to a retirement account, to an investment manager, that's not his money. He's a steward of my money. Now, I'll I'll hit us where it's home. If I want my money back, I'd be able to get that. He tells me, I don't have it. I spent it. I'd be like, what are you talking about? But we do the same thing to God. We spend all of our money on on toys and boats. I'm not preaching against any of that. You got the money, go buy a boat. Go buy a nice house. Fantastic. Let Let me ride on it with you. Well, well, then you can have one. <laughs> but uh not preaching against any of that, but I'm saying we need to put God first. And we need to understand that this is his money. And if we're spending all of God's money on on a, all of these other things, and then he comes and, well, I want you to give $1,000 to missions. I don't have $1,000. You had $1,000. You had $2,000. Well, now I got 200 So, see what I'm saying? Um, God, God's money, God's stuff, God's body, uh, God's house, God's car, it's all his. It's all his. And so if he asks something of me, it's not mine to begin with. I mean, he's being polite. But he doesn't have to be polite, 
And there are sometimes, I promise you, I can't prove it, but I know God has demanded it. And I said no, and he took it. <clears throat> that happens too. So, <laughs> I, uh, I'd rather just give it. And to back up a step, I'd rather have the attitude that I want to give it. I, I don't, I don't want us to feel like God's threatening us. He's not threatening us. Uh, he doesn't have to. Uh, but he's asking us to, to get a certain attitude in our hearts, a certain mindset that this stuff is not his, or it's not ours, it's his. And so if we live life that way, you know, all of this becomes so much easier. It becomes a lot easier. And, um, <clears throat> That was not in my notes. So now it's going to be hard to get back. Um, okay, it's perfectly okay to... I'm just going to start reading the notes. It's perfectly okay to cry out to God. However, when God answers our prayers with a command, like we said before, we need to follow the express will of God. Sometimes God will take care of a situation, but sometimes he'll tell us how to take care of the situation. In the book of Exodus chapter 14, verse 15, we find an interesting uh, response that the Lord gives Moses. Moses is crying out to God. Pharaoh's armies are coming. They're encamped against the Red Sea. And they need a miracle. Moses doesn't know what to do. He's not a uh, strategic guy. He's no general. He's no military man. Well, actually, he is trained in military, but uh, <laughs> this is a bad situation. A lot of people would say that uh, God is not a good general because he, he put him in a really bad spot. Well, it turns out he's a just an all-powerful general and doesn't need to worry about that. <laughs> so Moses cries out to God. And in verse 15, the Lord says this. The Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. And he, he issues commands detailing what they ought to do. In other words, uh, thank you for praying, thank you for leaning on me, but it's time to stop praying now and start taking action. Start time to do something now. Moses cried out to God for help, and God gave him the help he needed. This is what you need to do. Now go do it. He did it, and God performed an awesome miracle. In Joshua chapter 7, uh, verses 6 through 13, we read the account of uh, Achan, who trespassed in the accursed thing. Joshua chapter 7, 6 through 13. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought us this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side, Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it, and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? <clears throat> so he's, he's laying the situation out. This is where we're at, God. I have no idea what's going on. We have your promise. 
that our enemies will flee before us, but they're not fleeing before us. We're fleeing before them. I'm confused. What's going on? <clears throat> and the Lord answers. He says unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned. They have also transgressed my commandment, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and disassembled also. And they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed from the accursed from among you. Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. This is the exact same thing. <clears throat> Joshua's confused. He doesn't know what's going on. He cries to the Lord for help. The Lord answers him. Up. Get up. Take care of the accursed thing. Take care of the sin in the camp. And I will be with you again. And that's not a bad thing. That's a really cool thing. When God speaks to you and gives you specific instructions. I like specific instructions. I can follow by the numbers. I can do that. I can follow someone. Just, God, you know I'm stupid. Just line by line, please. What do I need to do? And I I say that somewhat facetiously. I, I think I'm reasonably intelligent. But, but when it comes to spiritual things, I'm a small child. And I need God to help me. <clears throat> And he does. Thank God, he does. Looking at our scripture text. The first son was the one who did the will of his father. The second one did not. That's what Jesus tells us. The first son initially told his father no, but later repented and did what was asked of him. The second son initially told his father yes, but later repented and did not do what was asked of him. Now, sometimes we get this idea in our head that when we tell God yes, that's enough. I don't have to do anything now. I told him yes. Another way to say it is, I got all of these hopes and, and things that I want to do for God. I, I got these plans, and, and I really want to do this for God, and I really want to do that, and... It just stays there. Nothing happens. That, that's great that you have these, these plans and these hopes and these dreams to do something for God. Fantastic. But we need to move from there and start taking action on those things that you want to do for God. Because here's the truth. This, this reality that we live in, we're not in the matrix. Okay? We're not in some computer simulation. We're not in someone's dream. This is a, a real objective reality that we live in. Okay? And because of that, we are real people living real lives. And our choices have consequences. They have real consequences. And so when I decide to kind of sit on my rusty dusty and 
Airborne fourth point of contact. <laughs> and do nothing. I mean, I can have all the hopes and dreams in the world. I can tell God yes to everything I, I hear in prayer. But if I don't do anything, it, it avails me nothing. Nothing's going to happen until I get up and start doing something. And so this idea that just because I'm telling God yes at an altar, I mean, that's a fantastic first step. We ought to be telling God yes. Okay, not saying don't don't tell him yes. Do tell him yes. But then go ahead and do it. Whatever you told God yes to, go ahead and complete that. Take care of that. Because here's the thing, too. If you want all of these grandiose things to come true, and I do, and I know you do, if we don't do these small things first, nothing is going to open up for me later. God's going to give, when I was a new convert, let me say it another way. I have seen relatively new people promoted to high, lofty positions. And I have seen them destroyed because of it. Destroyed. Why? They were, they were called to that. I have no doubt they were called to that, that position. But they weren't ready yet. They just weren't ready. And so, because they were, if you look at the life of Saul, that's a perfect example. He had no experience, and he went from hiding amongst the stuff to, to king of Israel. Just like that. And it destroyed him. There are other things too, but... Life of David, we see an incremental increase. He was a shepherd. He took care of the lion, took care of the bear, took care of Goliath, took care of the things of Saul. Then he was promoted. And so... If if God presents an opportunity to do something, to tell him yes in something I think is really small. I feel called to the ministry. I feel called to, to uh, do this, that, or the other. Fantastic. That's great. But we're not going to put you there next week. Okay? The first thing God may open up for you is to scrub toilets. That's the first thing I did. Man, what a good job that was. It's a great job. Be faithful in that. Do the best you can. Figure out better ways to do it. And then when I'm faithful in that seemingly small thing, then other opportunities open up. Hey, you've been doing really good here. Can, can we have your help over here? And I do good over here with the help of the Lord. And then other opportunities open up. And before you know it, I'm where God t- told me I was going to be but not right away. If I'd have told, no, I'm not called to that. I'm not called to scrub toilets. I'm called to pastor a thousand-person church. Everybody's called to a thousand-person church. <laughs> Don't you know that? <laughs> Everybody's called. Um, that's what I'm called to do. I'm not called to scrub toilets. Well, all right. Good luck with that. Not going to happen. If you're lucky, it's not going to happen because it will destroy you. 
So we tell God, yes, we do what we're supposed to do. We do it to the best of our ability. We do things. We make things happen. We take care of stuff. And doors open up so that we can do more stuff and take care of more things. And then other doors open up. But that will never start. You will never achieve what you are supposed to achieve unless you do the small things first. Do the small things first. Don't despise the day of small things, the Bible says. Don't do it. Because it's in those things that your ministries are created. It's in those things that God fashions you and forms you and gives you the tools you're going to need later on. Please don't despise those. So taking action, what are we to take action on? We're to act on what we know. James 1, 22-25 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So James is is exhorting us here to do those things that we hear from God's word. When God speaks to us uh, in his word, during our devotions or during study, when he he gives us a word over the pulpit or in our our time of closet prayer, he speaks to his people. We ought to expect that. And as a side note, that means we can't be talking all the time. We should give God a chance too, right? (laughs) Amen. So. Yeah, listen every once in a while. It's good to listen to God. It's really good to listen to God. He already knows all my stuff, so. (laughs) Amen. But when he gives us that word, we need to to own that. We need to take action on it. Uh, Those things that we know to do, we ought to do those things. You know, to do good and do it not, to him it is sin. So, those things that we know to do, we need to do those things. We can't be responsible for what we don't know, right? As we progress, we're going to know more. We ought to be knowing more. (laughs) We ought to be studying the Word of God, applying it to our lives. And as we do those things we know to do, God will reveal more things to us. Romans 2.13 Excuse me. Uh, Romans 2.13 says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Obedience to God doesn't mean just understanding what we heard or even agreeing with it. It means we're applying it to our lives. I hope you agree with everything that I preach. That would be wonderful. Maybe you won't. We can talk about it. I'm fair. (laughs) But that's not enough. It's not enough to agree with me. It's not enough to agree with, with whoever's standing behind this pulpit. It's not enough to agree with what we see in the Word of God. That's not enough. We need to do it. We need to, we need to apply that to our lives. When I, when I see in, in the book that I need to protect my eyes, yeah, that makes sense. That Yeah, 
And then I'm on TV watching all kinds of junk. I thought you'd, yeah, I agree with that. That made, that's, that's a lot of sense in that. Why aren't you doing it? Well, that's just not for me. You know, whatever. But intellectual honesty demands that if we agree with it, we ought to be doing it. Let's do what the Word of God says. And I know it's it's another message, but <clears throat> we do what the Word of God says because it's our it's our foundation for everything. We believe the Word of God is the inspired, infallible Word from God. That's what we believe about the 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 Bible. It is the Word of God, and if it is the Word of God, it is perfect. There are no contradictions. There are no errors. It's delivered to us as is, perfectly. And it is our law for life. It is our law for eternal life. And if that's true, I can't pick and choose what it says and what it doesn't say. I can't go through the scriptures. Yeah, that doesn't really work for me. And a lot of people do. And sometimes we do it unwittingly. And there's reasons for that, but... If we subscribe to this book being God's word, we have got to be obedient to it. All of it. All of it is God's word. All of it is profitable. And so when we see something in it, we don't have to struggle with it. We don't have to pray about it. We don't have to, eh, what does God really mean when he says that? Those are red flags to me. I see something in in Scripture, and I start thinking like that. That's a red flag to me. Well, he probably meant what he said. That's what he probably meant. <clears throat> I don't need to, you know, do a do a, a deep dive exegesis on the the original Hebrew and well, the, these scholars say this, and I mean it's fascinating, and I I have done that, but but at the end of the day. It's very understandable as is. And I apply it and it works. It works. So when I read something, I hear something uh, from Scripture, I need to do it. I need to take action on what I've just heard. Luke 11.28 says, But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. So I need to hear it, and that means not just hearing the noise of your lips flapping, but understanding what's being communicated. That's what that means. And then I need to do what my understanding tells me. As I understand the Word of God, I need to apply it and do it. Both hearing and doing are required. We are to act on Christ's example. John 13, verses 12 through 17 says this, so after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again and said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Two things. Uh, the example that he has given us, we need to do as well. 
That's why he, that's why he lived this life before us. He is our perfect example in all things. So if Jesus did it, we ought to do it. If Jesus abstained from it, we should probably abstain from it as well. He gave us that example so that we could replicate that, so that we could emulate that in our lives. The other thing is, happiness isn't in the knowing. It's in the doing. The joy comes, the happiness comes, the fulfillment comes, not not with my intellectual assent, not with my mental understanding, but when I start applying the Word of God and doing it, and that produces fruit in my life. When you do the Word of God, that's going to produce something in you. If I know the Word of God, I can sound smart, but my life could be a train wreck. <clears throat> but I know the Word of God. I mean, he's really smart about God's Word. He'll, he'll tell you everything there is to know about it. I'd rather have someone show me. I'd rather see it lived out. Then if that guy says something, that's going to be powerful. Someone who lives the Word of God. Someone who is submitted to this book and to to God. When he tells me something, she tells me something, I'm going to listen to that person. Glad you know something about the Bible. But we need to start doing the Bible. We are to teach others to take action on God's Word. Matthew 28, 20 says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That word observe, uh, we could easily substitute do. Teaching them to do all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So when we teach the word of God, we're not just imparting knowledge. We are imparting knowledge, but for the express purpose of changing someone's life. They start doing that. They start implementing that in their lives, and their lives begin to change. The book knowledge isn't going to do too much for them. I'd rather they had book knowledge than no book knowledge. Don't get me wrong. But the power is in submitting to it and doing it. Passive Christians have a victim mentality while active Christians deal aggressively with situations. They do this because they have faith in their God. Passive Christians are waiting for help, while active Christians are looking for others to help. Passive Christians ask why, while active Christians ask how. Passive Christians are faithless and fearful, while active Christians are full of faith and holy boldness. Passive Christians are always struggling, while active Christians are overcomers. Passive Christians accomplish little, while active Christians accomplish much. In conclusion, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 27. Jesus teaching, and he says this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. That word do is all over the place, isn't it? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. 
and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Let's all stand. So we see in God's word that it is imperative that we not only know the word of God, but that we do it. When we hear the word of God, we have to take action on it.